Land before time land, land before time land, from the Cretaceous to the Jurassic, from the Great Green Valley to the big, big water. This land was made for time and land. Ah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Land Before Timeland, the show where we talk about a franchise that shouldn't exist, but does anyway. Who could possibly know? I'm Madeline May with Chris Nebergal. Heidi, hi. And today, our very special guest is a very funny actor, and he hosts and co-hosts one of my favorite podcasts, the hilarious Fuckboy Book Club, Aaron Warner. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, Aaron, what is your experience with the Land Before Time franchise? So I would have been born after the first movie, and I would have uh, probably inherited it, um, you know, uh, on VHS. Uh, you know, my, my folks probably would have gotten it from my older sister at some point. I vaguely remember the second film with, with Chomper, yeah? Yes, yeah. yes. That was, okay. was that's, that's number two. Yeah. And uh, the Great I, Valley Adventure. Great Valley Adventure. Uh, third one, I think I recall some of, because that was the bullying the one. The bullying, that's the racism one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're all the racism. They're all the racism. That yeah. one especially as long as As long one. as three horns are in a movie, there's going to be some talk about racism. <laughs> I just love I love that like in the Land Before Time uh um franchise there it's anti-racism but like there is a race of dinosaur that is just genetically predisposed to being racist. Well it's just one cuz we don't see any other three horns in their society. We actually don't see more than like six dinosaurs at a time. Well, yeah. well in this in movie space. in this movie Sarah does make the comment that three horns in general are bossy. Ooh, yeah, so. but it's like yeah, they're, they're so it's girl a, bosses. It's, it's like when you get like just like freaks online that like try and convince you that like Muslims have like an extra bone in their brain that makes them homophobic. Um, no, it's very true, and it's a common trope of like kids cartoons. Like, there's always like that one who's just like angry or more like offensive than the rest, just because that's like the fucking uh, crying bear from Care Bears. What was that one called? <laughs> you know, I'm talking. Like, there was always that kind of character, whether it was racist a bad bear. guy, or racist bear. There was always somebody that was like either a good guy or a bad guy that was just like, oh, I hate this specific race or I hate this specific thing. And they were the grumpy one. Yeah. And the one we watched today, like Sarah, like shows some traditional three horn racism that she's like taken after her dad. Right. Because as this show, uh, race, racism is inherited. Is yeah. What we've learned. Uh, genetically. Yeah. It's, it's she has the racism gene. It's nature, not nurture, which I've been saying for years. Yeah. Although, although it gets rather muddy, uh, in this film, as we will discuss because of the, uh, predator prey, uh, distinction. So, so just to, uh, you know, give, give our, our listeners a crash course in the plot of this film. The Great Valley suffers yet another ecological disaster. In this, this time, case, it's a, not a it's not a good place to live. It's not a stable environment no. to raise your kids. This time, it's a plague of locusts that yeah, eats all the tree stars. Yeah, a biblical plague of locusts. And, and the dinosaurs leave the Great Valley to look for another place. And long story short, we'll get into it. Littlefoot and his friends end up on an island, home to sharp, uh, sharp teeth, who turn out to be Chomper and his parents. And so this is the triumphant return of Chomper to the franchise. Chomper's back. Yeah, dude. A uh, fan favorite Chomper. Uh, For four movies, everyone's just been hanging out saying, where's Chomper? <laughs> <laughs> and in this movie, he's supposed to have grown up some. But it's like, how can you tell? Because it feels like the overseas like Korean animation studios are like working from memory instead of from a model sheet. So like, 
like, yeah. like they showed him on like a slide at the beginning of the day. Like, you paint this, you make this drawing, and then they just have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, so it's like in some of these shots, like Chomper's like size relationships to the other the other kids is like you know he's it's it's a moving target, and in some shots he just looks like. He just looks like he's pregnant. And that's consistent throughout the entire franchise. This spatial yeah. <laughs> scale. scale is just terrible. The, like, first, the first movie is the only one that nails the scale. Everything yeah. else is just well, like, no, they're, 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 every character, well, they just like completely change the size of them per shot. Yeah, because the, the first movie is working on like a higher budget and like, you know, like a, a decent a decent feature film like, like uh, production schedule. Whereas this one is... Yeah, so the thing about straight to, to 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 home video animated movies is that they're by and large made off of a uh you know they're they're made on a way tighter budget they're made on a, a way tighter time scale and so they're going to be they're they're going to be a bit more TV quality but because things are stretched out for like feature length you're going to see more of the mistakes and the errors if you watch like an episode of an animated tv show you will see like oh yeah this was storyboarded by these episodes were storyboarded by the same artist and these episodes were storyboarded by a different artist and you can kind of tell that like expressions are different between these two episodes and like the style of motion is different between these two episodes and maybe these episodes were done with one overseas uh, animation studio versus the other overseas animation studio but you see that over the course of episodes in a tv show whereas in you know a straight to home video animated feature you're gonna see that like every five minutes and it's gonna be very fucking weird oh yeah and, and even in this one for for if you guys are following along at home and watching these with us uh, maybe you notice, like me, that the animation does feel different in this one. We notice it has a different director than the other sequels did. Yeah, Roy Allen Smith has been in charge until this point. Um, which maybe that's the reason why. I felt like the animation was a little bit more ambitious in this one. I, I saw some shots um, that were like, oh, I that's actually an interesting way to draw that. Because usually these films are the most boringly um, storyboarded films of all time. But there were at least a couple of moments here. I'm like, oh, they gave an extra ounce yeah. of care. It's never they, good, it's just, but they at least like they seem like something else is happening. Even if it's just an angle or a color yeah. that you might not yeah. expect and they, to see. They add like a bunch of like uh, really kind of complex and uh, uh, character designs that they put in motion for just like song sequences. Like one of the things that stood out to me forever since I was a kid um, when I first watched The Mysterious Island was the Big Water uh, uh, musical number because like the kids are have this bright idea that what they're going to do to find like a new home of uh of like lush vegetation to eat is that you know because the all their parents are starting to bicker the kids decide to like just go wander off in a, a collective direction themselves leaving tracks for them to chase them and hopefully they will have found food by the time their parents catch up to them but they end up finding uh the ocean and uh they then find a, a peninsula but then when they see like the the ocean for the first time and it's cutting them off from the mainland they're terrified and imagining like all the horrible things that live in there. And there's like a fish with like nine eyes on stalks and this evil jellyfish. And like these really... all, all these almost Susian uh, yeah. sort of monsters. Yeah, they're imagining these really elaborate and phantasmagorical sea creatures that are in the ocean that they're scared of. We're still also in the um, hand-drawn stage of these films, even if some stuff is... Wait, do, is... do they go to, to Flash soon? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the last one of these movies was made in 2016. 
Oh my god! So we're gonna get a real dip pretty soon. Oh. God. Um, so shall we hit uh, hit the notes here? Yeah, and let's go hit the no- let's start linearly. from the from the beginning here. Uh, we open with space. Never been done before in a Land Before Time movie. Never. Um, we've never no. opened with space. Uh, we see like <laughs> galaxies spin around. Um, and all we, this. We su- see the first the first three D of the franchise. This I is when we know we're starting to hit the 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 bad part of the franchise. It's, we're it's, seeing this horrific. 3D meteors coming at the screen at it's, us. It's 1997, and we have this. It's the only 3D sequence in the film, but it's these 3D graphics of Earth and and space that just look so bad. You know, like like the cinematic of a of a contemporary video game of the I, era. I will say that if you're going to use CG uh, in a 90s movie, like put it in, put it, make it be rocks in space because like CG is by and large better at like rendering inorganic things uh that are mostly in shadow yeah oh yeah especially during this time i mean that's famously why uh toy story was made with toys because they weren't good at making skin yet plastic and stuff yeah plastic and all that uh and then we get um the the fifth telling of this introduction of the dinosaurs i think this may be the same introduction or like they <laughs> piece together similar. It's introductions the from four again. and three sarah's dad voice actor just narrating long ago there were dinosaurs but this, yeah when yeah. i was a kid i thought the narrator was supposed to be grandpa but it didn't make sense for grandpa to be talking about his life from kind of outside of itself and then now I realize it's not even the same voice actor, but it still doesn't quite. He sounds too much like one of the other dinosaurs. Right, right. Uh, I like listening to it again. I kind of, I kind of hear Harrison Ford mm. a little bit in that voice. Well, like, it, it is the wistful. same voice actor who plays Sarah's dad. So mm-hmm. it's, it is. Literally. Just imagine if he was like, if like the narr- the narrator was racist too. <laughs> long ago, these goddamn long necks. <laughs> Uh, who are smelly and never clean up after themselves. These uppity long necks who think they're so much better than us. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this introduction has a little bit of a, a twist on the normal uh, one because they talk about how the dinosaurs are fighting over food, that there's uh, a food scarcity going on. Uh, we see two of the dinosaurs kind of start hitting each other a little bit before well, they get yeah, eaten yeah, it's like alive. Two, it's like two hadrosaurs like trying to like beat each other up over a tree that's filled with leaves that yeah. they could both mack on. Oh yeah. yeah, they're not even like in a barren area. They're in like a green area, but but for some reason they they just both really want this one specific tree. And you know, it's and it's because back, there's tree stars in there. Back when back when restaurants uh, were a thing, what I would like to do <laughs> is like I would order my own food and then while I was waiting to get my food, I would just beat the shit out of somebody sitting at their table and eat their food. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's survival of the fittest. And then the manager of the restaurant would show up and eat us both. <laughs> this is parallel. We finally get back to the Great Valley where nothing happens because these kids are fighting over the first tree star of the day, which shows the privilege of living in this incredible but, fucking but environment. But it's also the last tree star on that specific tree. One, one particular specific, tree. Yes. Um, even though there are millions of fucking tree stars they're fighting over it. The sequence happens where, oh, it turns out another dinosaur got the last tree star. Who could possibly care? Littlefoot's grandpa comes by, and Aaron, you pointed this out. His shadow. 
is extremely phallic. <laughs> this is a big dick. <laughs> yeah. the, I thought we had entered before <laughs> Grandpa shows up. His shadow casts over the kids, and in the shadow, the snout is way more tapered than Grandpa's snout is, because like all the long necks have these like very fucking squarish, broad snouts, and he has like these weird angular kind of like like rear of the jaw sort of shapes in a shadow and so it just looks like the shadow of just this big uncircumcised hog over <laughs> over the kids and it's uh it's not good uh so Littlefoot, because he, he's he's um i i use this term lovingly a little bit of a bitch he uh complains to his grandfather about how oh this old guy ate our tree star oh yeah because while they were fighting over this tree star it falls out of the tree and goes like drifting in straight into the mouth of an ankylosaurus yeah mr Clubtail, they call him who, and, who, and, yeah. whose tail club is extremely scrotal sure <laughs> well that, a, that's kind of that's that's kind of supported by the, the fossils yeah there's a lot of dicks in dinosaur times it's very beautiful i like grandpa here because he basically says well little foot if there's only tree sorrow should go to old people in fact everything should go to old people <laughs> this <laughs> this fucking he's guy like, mr clubtail doesn't get to eat from the tops of trees yeah, very much yeah grandpa's the guy who did go out during quarantine to vote for uh, fucking Joe Biden in no, the middle of the pandemic. No, I think I think Grandpa was like teaching these like these kids with their kind of like youthful selfishness about like in essence a kind of like fair redistribution. Like he can tell the kids were bickering over the tree star, each thinking that they were the ones who should rightfully have it. And you know this ankylosaur that does not get stuff from the tops of trees ever and has to get like the low hanging fruit literally he was you know like that's the basis on which grandpa says it may be since it was the last one it's good mr T clubtail got it because he hardly ever gets those if there was only one and not enough to go around perhaps it's best that old mr clubtail got it <laughs> after all he doesn't often get to enjoy treats from the top of the tree i imagine this was a very special morning for him right which which is a terrible idea, obviously, as we all know, which is why Ducky suggests death panels immediately after. <laughs> yeah, right. And said, like, um, well, at a certain age, you know, you should just give up your bed for somebody who's sick. Like, because you're, you know, you're going to die anyway. So basically, Grandpa was trying to, like, uh, vo like you know, voice in favor of some kind of, like, redistributive social democratic welfare state. And, and the rest of the kids are, like, you know, they're all going through, like, their 14-year-old libertarian phase. <laughs> yeah, like, fuck you, that's my tree star. Basically. I, work, I yeah. work for that. I deserve it. If you <laughs> eat my tree star, it's breaking the non-aggression principle. <laughs> And so to punish them, God sends a swarm of locusts. Yeah, which is very weird because I, I have a buddy who's a, who's an animator and, and is a, a very um, storied historian of, of many different animation studios, including Don Bluth. And he once told me that like basically the first Land Before Time movie is, because Don Bluth is famously uh, very Mormon, is a Mormon allegory. And the Great Valley is like the land of milk and honey. It is the promised land for all of God's wait, wait, children. Children. Which is so crazy because like I didn't get any of that when I first watched the movie as a kid and recently for this podcast. Yeah, me either, because I'm you know I'm from uh, you know I'm I'm of Jewish heritage, so I imagine like the Great Valley was just like a big deli. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was church. Like I don't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds awful. Zionosaurus. But, <laughs> but I think it's like you know it's telling that like if that was set up, no wonder none of the sequels quite work because it's like the first movie ends with the characters all in heaven so yeah. like 
you're in the promised land already, so every single movie has to be what goes wrong in the promised land and then gets resolved by the end of the film. Which is interesting because the promised land itself is always perfect. It's always the thing that needs to be protected or returned to. There aren't any problems inherent with the Great Valley. It's always things happening to the Great Valley. Yeah, it's always uh, just the wrong sorts of people move in. Well, and that's the other thing because the Great Valley... Um, is they say that sharp teeth can't get into the Great Valley because of the cliffs, which, I mean, we bring it up all the time. How the fuck did anybody get into the Great Valley? Yeah. But whatever. But but it goes to your point that only certain people are allowed to, to be in the Great Valley. And then fucking there's the, the, the long necks go to the Great Valley, too, in, in number four. And they're as big as fucking... Sharp teeth. No, I'm bringing this this fucking yeah. problem back. You, no, bring I it hate back. this bring it back. so much. You, you because... need you need four legs to get into the Great Valley. Oh, it, it's it's like Animal Farm rules then, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Some uh, dinosaurs are more equal than others. Because <laughs> think of it, everything that lives in the Great Valley. Okay, okay. It's sauropods, four legs, right? Right. Uh, triceratopses. Uh, Ceratopsians. Four legs. Yeah. But Petrie has two legs. Petri, okay. Have, do you know historically how pterosaurs walked? No. Okay. They they folded their wings and they had kind of fingers on their elbows and they walked around. Well, that because way. this is what looks like their elbow is actually the end of their hand. That extra length of the wing is created by one finger being extremely long. And that that makes them four legs. Every, everything this, that's developed. In this, in this, yeah. yeah. So everything that has developed flight uh, developed it differently. Ah, oh, but I I got you now, you, you pieces of shit. The third movie had the bully that walked on two legs. It had a hypsilophodon, yeah, which is an ornithopod, which I don't know. Would they have uh, walked on four legs, you think, uh, like a hadrosaur? I actually don't know. I would assume. Okay, I'm going to look this up real quick. Okay, so while we Let me ask while you this. we take this Let me bit ask you way this. further than we have ever you, intended to. Have you ever seen a Therizinosaurus in the Great Valley? Not so far, no. Yeah, because... because it was an ornithopod, um, but it was it was herbivorous. But with those long fucking claws, no way that thing was ever going to walk like on four legs. It only would walk on two legs. All right. Well, if you want to get in on this debate, let us know in the comments. <laughs> if four-legged dinosaurs are the only ones allowed to be in the Great Valley, we will definitely read them. So the locusts come and yes. eat everything. In there the is a yeah. biblical plague of locusts in heaven. Yes, that eats. All the food, and they in get... In a matter of seconds. Seconds. It's cartoon logic. It's dumb. And uh, they get cast at, cast out of Eden mm. and have to uh, travel back to the mysterious beyond, which is always seen as, like, really scary in these movies, even though that's where they lived. Um, Grandpa even makes, like, a speech about it, where they're like, we have to go back to the mysterious beyond. They're like, the mysterious beyond. And he's like, you don't remember, but we used to live there. All of us survived in the outside world before coming here. And we can do it again if we must. He's like, it was, <laughs> it was, that was five films ago. <laughs> You've all gotten soft and weak. Yeah, and Littlefoot and his friends had a whole adventure in the Mysterious Beyond, and they were living on their own doing just fine. This, by the way, is the first movie that actually acknowledges the first movie 
Like yes. the events of the first movie are directly referenced in this one, and that has not happened yet. Which really? which which proves which which finally ends our argument because we weren't sure if the first movie happened because these kids act like they didn't just live through the most traumatic experience of their life of traveling across the desolate wasteland by themselves without their parents and fi- killing a sharp tooth. I would also like to grind this to a screeching halt for yes. a moment. Thank to you. Point Please out, do. Uh, Hypsilophodon was bipedal. Exclusively, it had really, really diminished forelegs, and it seems like most people depict it uh, and consider it to have been mostly bipedal. Well, shit. So that that's out the window. Yeah. Well, we were close to coming up with the unified Great Valley theory, but that's what the scientific method's all about. But that's why Proud they're outcasts us. in the society. That's why they're 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 bullies. They feel Wait, left was, out. Was that was he supposed to be a hypsilophodon? Because he was. His, his name, name is, is Hip. He's he he's apparently supposed to be. I a forgot how fucking specific they got with assigning like assigning dinosaurs to like a like a, a a real world species in these films because it's like you'd think like ah oh, fuck it you know just make it one of the ones with the duck bills they're all the same well yeah the kids aren't gonna care especially because the the designs are so you know just cartoony and they depart so strongly from the actual look of these animals that there is no point in assigning a specific species you couldn't tell the difference between a land before time tyrannosaur or a land before time allosaur they would be drawn exactly the same except you would have to count the fingers anyway they all decide to leave the great valley in search of food here we actually get some really interesting uh backgrounds and uh different kinds of scenery than we're used to because before this every scene was basically either a forest or a cave uh, it gets even a little dark they find like a dead skeleton which is pretty cool yeah it's the darkest uh one since the first one for sure uh they try to use the skeleton to figure out like where the food is uh sarah's dad says uh i don't think so we should go this way even though sarah's dad almost killed everybody in the third movie <laughs> with his shitty ideas yeah they, they all disagree over like which way to go to which yeah. way to go to Fun. find food because littlefoot's grandpa says well he was coming this way when he died which means there's no food the way he came from but sarah's awful dad disagrees so all of the adults decide to do what they always decide to do, which is split up from each other and just keep to kind because they just can't possibly make decisions together. Even though, again, night- Mr. Threehorn is the only Triceratops in that whole fucking... Yeah, he's like, tribe of one. He's like... <laughs> He's like each herd, each herd shall go their separate ways, and it's like each herd of one dinosaur, exactly one of each type of animal is here. Uh, excuse me, fifty percent of Noah's Ark here. Does anybody else get like a weird like, uh, Mister Threehorn? Like Sarah's dad strikes me as like a dude that would, if he was human, he would like he would be like the the uh, evangelical single dad of like a teenage daughter that he takes to a purity ball, but then because he just reads too many like like memes on Facebook decides that like he needs to build a bunker and Lockheed and his daughter in there to protect themselves from like the QAnon vampires. Mr. Threehorn and and Sarah like there's something not quite okay going on there right? Yeah Sarah clearly is like frustrated by her father's bossiness but also like really quick to defend him because Littlefoot and Sarah and get also into a little quick fight to about absorb it. his racism. Yes. Yeah, Sarah's dad's the kind of person that's, like, trying to figure out, like, uh, the American sniper's phone number so he can date his daughter. (laughs) It's kind of like Sarah definitely has a budding resentment for her father, but also a fanatical devotion to anything that he's taught her. And all of this is from the first movie, which his only line, the only part he talks in the first movie is he says, three horns don't 
talk with long necks. Yeah. The, the only thing he says in that movie, and that's just been his defining says, character trait. Which he says in a language that both of those species could understand. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. There Aaron. are separate dinosaur species. There are, there are species. two languages. Uh, languages. There are two languages in this film. There's there's the plant-eater language and the meat-eater sharp-tooth language. Yes. Those are the only but, two. But, but the fucking, but Elsie speaks the plant-eater language. Because Elsie is a plant-eater. No, she's not. Oh, no, okay, omnivores <laughs> can speak the the. She's not an omnivore. She's a, she eats fish, but exclusively. But, oh, maybe yeah. she's like that kind of vegetarian where it's like you can eat fish and it's okay. No, she's a pescatarian. <laughs> on this a, subject, they can speak flat. <laughs> on this subject, why does Petrie eat tree stars? Yeah, he should be eating fish. He's a fish eater. And then later, though, they meet another pterosaur that's got sharp teeth, like like a Rampharynchus or something. So it's like that one's but eating you. But it's huge. It's, it's a like, Rampharynchus like that's bigger than a terror, like bigger than <laughs> like a pteranodon, like a Quetzalcoatlus size oh But with teeth. Chris, Chris, we're only five movies into this. <laughs> we no, have, but the weird thing we have is, the so weird many thing is, more. <laughs> these movies will be so specific that, like, you just do like a like a quick Google search, and like the information is just under the surface that every character has a highly specific dinosaur species all assigned this, to them. All this can be found on the fan wiki, by the way. They figured it all out. Oh my god. So, like, the information is there, and it is decided, but somehow they don't, like, stick to it in a weird way. It's like if they were very specific about what species of squid Squidward it was. Yeah. that That's a perfect analogy, I but think. He's, it's oh like, my god, that's like that fucking, my, one of my favorite videos of all time the fucking uh, Matt Pat game theory film theory video about whether SpongeBob is adopted. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that video all the fucking time. They start bringing, he starts bringing out like fucking eugenic science to oh prove that. Is oh, because <laughs> SpongeBob is perfectly square like a kitchen sponge, and his parents are shaped like actual sea sponges. That's that's part. He starts like starts like doing that. What's the the famous science with like the splitting uh, peas? What's that called? Oh, like the a Punnett square. Genetics? Yeah, he starts doing that. He starts doing that to the SpongeBob's family. Oh my god! Like wow. with, with dominant traits and, and uh, oh submissive traits. They don't even reproduce sexually, though, do they? Sponges? sponges? No. No, they just bud. Yeah, like no. It's, so so that it's, type of genetics wouldn't apply. So theoretically, sponge. Matt Pat blows my mind. He's so fucking so, stupid. So sponges in SpongeBob world basically would be like like the aliens in K-Pax, where children are just kind of raised by everybody because it doesn't matter where you come from biologically. Well, well Mr. Krabs' daughter is a whale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so who fucking cares? Well, maybe Where's that video, Matt Pat? Maybe, maybe, they, maybe it works by uh, BoJack Horseman rules where you can have a kid raised by two different animal parents, but there's no hybrids. They just come out as one or the other uh, animal. So Mr. Krabs married a whale and then just gave birth to a whale. Yeah. All right. Well, you want a whale to give birth to crabs? <laughs> just a swarm, hate, just I a hate. swarm of those dancing, scuddling crabs from the from the. The sea the meme. is always green. Nah. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't want to think about a crab having to give birth to a whale. That's horrible. Oh God, no! It would just break open. Yeah, he would die. <laughs> imagine imagine you're imagine you are uh, settling down for a nice uh, a nice crab dinner and you break open the shell to get a, the delicious crab meat inside and then it explodes and there's an entire fucking infant whale like your 
table just crushed. Uh, just an entire infant. The dorsal yeah, an entire infant whale just like in your <laughs> kitchen because, oh, whoopsie doodles, the crab was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just imagining like a sequel to Alien where they just find a bunch of crabs. And it's just these whales start exploding out of them one by one. <laughs> <laughs> or like a guy gets like fucking face hugger and it's like hey i'm feeling pretty good <laughs> a giant whale explodes out of him. oh my uh, god i'm losing my mind they gotta land right. before time they don't do that like you never see a, a you never a different... see a whale explode out of little foot in any of these movies <laughs> not yet not but yet. I, I mean i've only ever seen the first five that's true but... me too um fuck okay so after uh the adults just um give up and say we're gonna just leave everything the kids aside hey if we can find food the, then the our adults parents... the, the adults figure that they can't find food without segregation <laughs> so the kids do what they always the, do the adults are boomers the adults just want to like they're all greatest generation they just want to go back to like pre to to they want to go back to jim crow yeah like exactly. every every Land Before Time movie where like the adults fuck up and like the kids have to save the day Which is just every single one. Yeah, it's basically just like about how like all of these and again that fits in with the whole Mormon thing. The adults like want to go but like think that like things would be easier if uh, if like Jim Crow was reinstated. But the kids realize no, no 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 we can find we can find the promised land for all of us. Well now yeah the kids find their version of the promised land which is a uh, beach. And they try to drink the water, which is pretty great. But they just go, you smell the water? Like, hmm, maybe yeah, I shouldn't drink. they smell water. They smell the water, but it's but they salt don't, water. They don't smell the salt in the air it's, that comes it, off an ocean. It's like they can smell that subtle kind of water smell, but they can't smell that they're at the ocean. Like, you know, you know I, I, like even as a, a dumb kid going to the beach, I remember seeing water and saying, this smells bad. I probably shouldn't drink this water. Yeah, because even though I like, did, because I was a stupid kid, but yeah, you know. it smells like like salt and and rotting seaweed and, and fish nut and cigarette butts. Yeah, so <laughs> Spike takes a big gulp of salt water and, he, and uh, he dies of dehydration. He's three the only days one later. who swallows. The rest of them spit. Yeah, Ducky comes out. Uh, she's got like part of a six pack uh, around her. <laughs> <laughs> really a plastic really, six pack really, ring. Uh, I do Petri's, not like this. Pe no, no, no. Petri's just covered in oil. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out the real dinosaur a like a was little... man. <laughs> a, a green a Greenpeace activist just like starts scrubbing Petri with Dawn soap. <laughs> Oh my god! So they find the peninsula. You were really angry that it was. Yeah, a it's called the peninsula. <laughs> it's called the mysterious angry. island, but it's actually a peninsula because it's got a fucking like land bridge connecting it at the front. Aha! Uh -huh, though it does become an island through an earth shake. Okay, does the earth shake destroy the path or just like shift the water over it? I think it shifts the water over. Wait, I can't remember. Well, what I'm saying. yeah, I, th I think it destabilizes uh, the rocks on the on the peninsula, and they kind of sink so that the water level is now covering them. So is it still <laughs> is it still an island? Or Aaron, 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 by your okay. logic, every island is a peninsula because eventually you will find ground to walk. Yeah, by on. that logic, yeah. deep enough. By that islands logic, are fake. <laughs> it's by that the logic, idea though, of an island is a fake idea. If you could just so, walk underwater and like just crane your neck a little bit so you could still like breathe over the surface, you can just like any island is a peninsula. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm sure the New Zealanders will be very happy to hear that they have their own continent then. Yeah. Joe Biden says he believes in islands. I have never believed in islands. They're fake. They're all peninsulas. Just walk on the walk across on your tippy toes and you can still breathe. <laughs> 
<laughs> you get you get to get to Lemuria that way. Yeah. So th- this Earthshake also brings up another thing we talked about during the movie that I want to bring up. Dinosaur movies always depict the the dinosaur era as being in a state of constant dramatic natural disasters like every five minutes. Oh yeah, like like uh seismic and tectonic events are just like happening like hourly yeah, in like dinosaur the earth, times. The earth is in some sort of catastrophic raw primordial state where there's just rocks rising up out of the ground left and right. Yeah, guys, it's almost like the world's 6,000 years old. Right? <laughs> Get with it. it. They have to do a lot in a short amount of time. I guess, yeah, I guess like if we're going with, you know, Mormon allegory theory, um, like it makes sense because you're basically going by a notion of like a young earth and trying to square that with, with dinosaurs as, uh, as you know, historical fact. But we were talking talking about how that sort of yeah that that relates to fantasia yeah that has to come from the fantasia rite of spring stuff because like towards the end it shows like you know there there are all these seismic events that are set to music and so they're animated and they're supposed to be these time-lapse sequences that shows like massive tectonic shifts and like like complete deformation of the land Occurring over millions of years. But because it's set to music and it's sped up and elapsed for time, it has this drama. And it's not just enough that, like, you see a mountain rise where over time, yes, like, tiny, small, like, bits of of rock would shift slowly over it. But, like, when a mountain rises out of the ground in those Fantasia sequences, it, like, it leaves off shrapnel. Like, there's debris as if it was an immediate thing. And I think that just cemented the idea of in everyone's mind that, like, dinosaur times were caused by you know uh just a violent earth yeah though just the planet was extremely violent like as if like Like every dinosaur lives next to a big smoking volcano yeah which was in um which is in the second movie there's just a fucking volcano in the great valley that erupts all the time yeah whatever old faithful but that's (laughs) another thing like people have this notion that say like the 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 asteroid collision that wiped out the dinosaurs was as if like it hit the earth and just like released this instant like fiery shock wave that enveloped the planet and just scorched all the dinosaurs or like this giant like hiroshima nagasaki style mushroom cloud from its impact instead of like the reason why dinosaurs died everywhere even though this asteroid landed in a very specific place is because it kicked up so much fucking debris that it blotted out the sun and the whole food web collapsed yes, across the planet yes and like slowly there was, there was just not enough sunlight hitting the earth's surface that plants died out over time and it's it's geologically speaking it's a very sudden shift if you look at the rock layers it looks near instantaneous when you look at the cretaceous tertiary boundary it's called but a geologic but instant could be human centuries life. yeah it's longer like, than a minute i'll you know i'll be honest i i did think a meteor just made all the dinosaurs evaporate until this second. I mean, it was. <laughs> what the it, fuck was on the meteor? Thanos? I, I mean, fucking no. I mean, just, look, it, if you it were sounded in, cool. If you were in Central America. I mean, no, no, obviously, now that I'm hearing it out loud, what you're saying makes too much sense. Like, it's I, obviously yeah. that's what happened. I mean, happened. If, you, if you were in Central America, you were going to have a bad day. It was like a hundred million megaton explosion or something like that. But if you lived in, like, where, where whatever Siberia was at the time, you might not see the effects for a while. What's interesting about all this, though, is you're right that people do think that this stuff was instantaneous, and that's what really allows, like, you know, these 
crazy fundamentalist Christian groups to push the idea that the world is 6,000 years old. Because if we're imagining life is like that Fantasia movie, then of course, like, oh yeah, uh, volcanoes are going up like every single day, changing the earth. Of course, the it's only 6,000 yeah. years old. The, the, the Mesozoic era took uh, like a week in, in like young earth theory. All right, do we want to go back to the movie, guys? How are we feeling? Okay, back to <laughs> the land before time, time. five. Land before time. Uh, we get our first song of the movie, the first of three, the Big Water song. Yeah, Greg, you like this song. Yeah, this song, if like big, this song big, sticks in big, my head more than water. any other any other dinosaur song. Big, 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 big And I, th- I have a suspicion that, you know, when you're like a child and you're like uh, stupid and you will yeah. like watch an entire movie just for one sequence of it that like is like yes, enjoyable yes, to yeah. you. Like when I was a little kid, I would pop in the Disney uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea VHS just to get to the squid. And because I wasn't confident in my ability to use the fast forward button for a while, initially, I would just sit through the whole boring bullshit of that film because a lot of it is boring to a kid just to get to the squid fight. And I think I and I suspect I did a similar thing with this movie where I would like watch it just to check out the big water sequence because it had cool sea monsters in it. Yeah. And you could tell they put effort into those sea monster designs because, like, there's a whole part at the end of it where, like, a bunch of sea monsters swirl around and, like, take on the positions and the expressions of Littlefoot and the gang and then turn into them. Like, it's like that line from Moby Dick, the sea, where it is said, uh, each man, as in a mirror, finds himself. They're imaging, like, their oceanic doppelgangers. Yeah, maybe. The, yeah, at maybe the end of that may, song. Yeah, maybe there's fish going to a mysterious island underwater somewhere. So, so the it's a wonder of dry land. <laughs> so it's a wonder why Universal never put on, um, you know, the sea before time, where it was just like just a ripoff of the land before time, but like kind well, of like well, well, the snorks to Littlefoot Smurfs. Well, you say that, but there is a future <laughs> sequel that's called Journey to Big Water, Return to Big Water, or something like. I just that. love that. Big Water became like a fan favorite character that they brought back. Like <laughs> fan favorite characters that they brought back in later movies: Chomper, Earthshakes, The Big Water, uh, Cliffs, Rocks, Rocks. <laughs> they love rocks in this series. Yeah, <laughs> fucking love rocks. Rocks are their go-to move. Rocks and cliffs. That's how they solve all of their problems. Yeah. Pushing rocks off of cliffs onto sharp teeth. Um, the series. It's quite amazing. It's kind of wily coyote-ish in that way. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you can't manipulate objects without pushing them with your head, you know, if you don't have opposable thumbs, you push rocks off cliffs. That's what you do. So, uh, skipping ahead, they try to escape the island. They fail because there's sharks in the water. Who knew? There's they, one shark, which I guess shark. is, uh, but the shark has, doesn't exactly have like a consistent scale to it. But I think we're supposed to assume it's a megalodon, even though that's way too early for megalodon. Also, it seemed like it would be smaller than a. That seemed smaller than a megalodon. I feel like megalodon are bigger than how scale is irrelevant in this series. It's a scale is like time. It's a it's a more of a theory than anything. Yeah. Uh, in the series, it's it's a big shark. Uh, but the point is, they get back to the island and they're like, "Oh no, what are we gonna do?" And here we have him, our fan favorite hero, Chopper returns. Chopper's back and he's older than ever, and he can talk now. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He didn't talk at all. No, no. he just made a little cute growling sounds yeah which he does do again when he's speaking he's speaking sharp teeth language with his parents yeah which is like uh, chewbacca kind of growls so for the other. so for the next half hour or so the plot of the movie is basically 
that Chomper wants to be friends, but his parents want him to eat his friends. Yeah, and that which leads to my personal favorite song in the movie. Friends, friends for dinner. dinner. Don't, don't want to be friends for dinner. dinner. It starts with a steel drum flourish that never happens again. Like yeah, I don't think they it's use not this... a reggae song at all. Um, but no, like so Chomper is, is living on this island with his parents, and you know, lo and behold, like the island happens to have actual green food for for Littlefoot and the gang and Chopper's like oh I'll take care of you guys like you took care of me and so Chopper has to hide Littlefoot and the gang from his parents who if they smell him will want to eat them because they're monsters they're dinosaurs and Sarah's already like fuck you Chopper you want to eat us he's a sharp tooth during the song uh, Petrie's like maybe Spike's enough for them (laughs) if he just eats Spike wouldn't that be enough which is like he's the first to crack under pressure he's like please anyone but me i will work for you and i want to talk about how weird this conflict is a lot of anthropomorphic animal movies will do this thing where they will frame the predator prey relationship in light of some sort of human relationship like racism or cultural difference or or something and the problem with that is that a predator-prey relationship is an innate biological thing that cannot be overcome. And most human conflicts are things that can be overcome. Like, yeah, you, like you, we don't have to eat people of other races to survive. I have a very strong reaction to that, where it's like, if you think... Like, if you honest... Now, I think most of the people making, like, making uh, children's media like this, where they they rela- they they go with, you know, a predator-prey dichotomy as, like, an allegory for, like, human conflicts, I think most of the time they're doing it because, like, they didn't really think that far ahead, and it's like, we want this movie to have cute animals in it because kids like cute animals, and we want this movie to have a good message because parents like when their kids' movies have good messages, and then they just try and cobble it together out of those those elements yeah yeah, it's also like a extremely old idea like it's been around since the dawn of time you got like the aesop fables where these animals are taking the place of of people to teach moral lessons to children yeah but but in in that example of zootopia though is where you get into the weird stuff well the thing is here's my belief my belief is that if you think that you can actually make a serious allegory if you honestly think that like a predator prey dichotomy is a good decent serious allegory for human prejudices you have like a little bit of like fascism in you because you you honestly believe that there are parts of like human conflict that are like just sort of innate and can be basically more or less racially coded. Then in the case of, of this Land Before Time movie, it's like what they're trying to teach us is no, not all uh, predators uh, are. I don't even know what it's trying to say. It's like not all predators are bad, just some of them. But they all do still want to eat meat well, unless you like make them specifically be friends with an individual dinosaur. And then they won't want to eat that dinosaur. Yeah, but they'll want to eat uh, other dinosaurs It raises the question still. of, you know, Chomper wants to be friends with these herbivores but he's been eating something this whole time right obviously his parents have been feeding him herbivore meat and yeah in, and in the tv show they retcon all this by just having chomper only eat bugs that is hilarious to me because that's basically like that's basically like the technocratic silicon valley fix where it's like 
it's like, well, how do we solve this intractable, uh, uh, you know, like power differential and this line of oppression between people? Oh, well, you know, we figured out uh, how to make a how to make a, a tiny house, or so you know, all the people that are uh, being uh, uh, destroyed by redlining and and uh, uh, an out of the control housing market, we'll just make a shipping crate that they can live in. <laughs> Uh, that approximates the feeling of being in a real apartment, and then right, look and look how happy he is in that apartment. Yeah, he loves and, it. And then it's like, and then it you also get like, oh well, how do we solve like the problem of like people being too poor to get decent nutrition? Oh, we'll just start farming fucking bugs and mash them up into a a, a cricket flower. And we'll give them that. That's literally the plot of Snowpiercer. Yeah. But that's like a thing. Like, you know, there are startup companies that are like, oh, we make bug protein bars for you to eat instead of real food. We made bug soylent for you. Have at it, plebes. But that's like it. So it's like the the thought process of like, how do we solve this horrible like line of domination between predator and prey? Oh, we'll just make the predator eat bugs. So after this, the, the movie's basically done. There's a fight between the T Rexes and yeah. So another T Rex shows up. The, the Chomper and and another sharp tooth. We're we're fa- we this... are fuzzy on on the exact genus. Well, of they call it. sharp tooth. Every they call sharp tooth everything. Yeah, like, this, if you eat this, meat, you're a big, sharp tooth. This big carnosaur or celurosaur, some sort of large theropod, shows up. And uh, just tries to eat all the kids indiscriminately, which pisses off uh, Chopper's parents. Hey, he's a bad meat eater. Yeah, so they have a big fight with him, and they push him off cliff. And I guess because Littlefoot and his friends tried impotently to help Chomper, they are mm. now considered uh, uh, A-OK in, in Sharptooth Town. Well, they also, because Chomper had them sleep in like a, a grove of stinky flowers so his parents wouldn't be able to sniff them out for prey. Right, and now they smell gross. There's also a second song that we just totally skipped over, but who could possibly care? Oh, was it uh, Almost There? Uh, Always There? Always There. Yeah. Always There was just like the kids uh, singing a song about how much they miss their mommies taking care of yeah, them they're while like, they're, oh, I'm their first yeah. night on the island. Exactly. before Chopper finds them. Well, this is where we find out um, that Littlefoot's mother is canon to the franchise, mm-hmm. which is why I bring it up. You know I'll never leave you You can find me everywhere In the morning light The evening star I'm always there And she is dead. Mad, but she's part of the sky. She's in the stars now. So after the big uh, theropod is defeated and uh, Chomper's parents agree not to eat Littlefoot and company, the movie is wrapped up real fast by a couple of Duzex Machinas. Yeah, one Elsie. of which is Elsie the plesiosaur. Loch Ness yeah, so, monster. She is a Loch Ness monster. Yeah, the evil one hundred percent. The evil sharp tooth chases the kids to a cliff. Littlefoot and and Chopper fall in the water, uh, and uh, the evil sharp tooth duels with Chopper's parents, who fight off the evil sharp tooth, who falls in the water, but like clips into the specific collision box where a current is <laughs> and gets swept away. Yeah, that's what happens yeah. when you play with mods. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Littlefoot and Chomper stay in like, you know, the water is like bugged out and, uh, and the <laughs> textures aren't moving no, at all. They use speed strats yeah. in order to get past that. It's, it's a frame perfect yeah. trick. And then they are. So you may remember there is a shark in the water that previously menaced the kids. 
and they think it's back. But this time it's Elsie, who is an enormous Elasmosaurus with a dorsal fin on her head, which no plesiosaur ever had. Unless, yes, unless like, again, it, you're the lock this monster. Nessie is real. It looks like it's supposed to be some kind of pterosaur crest or something like a pteranodon has. Also, she has like wrinkle face to show that she's older, like uh, Littlefoot's parents. Also, she's colossal. She's enormous. Her scale is like her head is the size of Sharptooth's entire parents. Like, like yeah. it, Chomper's entire parents. Like, she's this is a Godzilla size. She's impossibly enormous. And because she's gigantic, her whole neck and head turns into a crane uh, walkway for uh, Littlefoot and Sharptooth to get back up on onto uh, the cliff. And then, yeah, that's where they have to say goodbye to Chomper. Chomper's like, I hope to see you again. The kid's like, oh, no, no you're going to eat us. So <laughs> they um, get onto um, uh, the Loch Ness Monster and start swinging back. She's like also like macking on uh, Littlefoot's grandfather. Yeah, which she's is like, great. oh, there was, this very, there was this very charming long neck who came by. The so statue. there I was, just cruising along, minding my business, when I spotted this very distinguished old long neck on the beach. Quite surprised I was. That's my grandpa. Is he now? So that's where you get your good looks. This dashing, handsome long neck. Uh, uh, too, he, too, too bad he was with his wife. It was very poor She doesn't sports. even mention grandma. She's just like, yeah. if only you had flippers instead of legs, we would be quite the pair. It's like, his wife was undoubtedly right there. What the fuck? Dude. What the hell? Lady, you are thirsty. Dude, I love when, when ladies get cocked in front of their she's, husbands. But she's not even, like, lady, you are surrounded by water and you are thirsty. That's <laughs> uh, so salty. I sure, I sure hope he's one of those uh, 1920s uh, brontosauruses that live in the water. <laughs> the swampy ones yeah they give her like that swan neck shit that they gave that they gave uh brontosauruses in drawings where it's like this impossibly like flexible neck so two things about about elsie's uh two more things about uh, three more three things in total about elsie's design um sorry four things about elsie's design <laughs> that are just fucking weird oh my one God. she's goddamn gigantic two she's got the dorsal fin on her head three She's got like old face to show that she's older. And four, she has like like a single like rim of undifferentiated like flat teeth in her mouth. She should have needle-like teeth yeah, for she eating should, fish. Should, yeah, she should be full of like these tiny like spike teeth for like spearing fish. But that would make her a sharp tooth. And that would make her bad. Yes. Even yeah. though the whole point of this movie is that sharp teeth aren't actually necessarily bad. Just just most of them, but some are good. Yeah. So they get they get back to where Littlefoot's uh, parents and all, all the adults are just kind of, you know, sitting around, wasting their time. Yeah, Sarah's dad's like, this is your fault, you piece of shit grandpa. They they eventually <laughs> they eventually do find, like, a place to graze, and the, and the, Sarah's and, dad is like, what's the point of eating if I, I don't even, I'm not even hungry if my daughter's dead. So what if we've found enough food to last us for years? Who cares? If we don't have our kids... What's the point? <laughs> so, so then their their kids. I mean, it is sad. <laughs> no, that's that's, that's how he realistic. puts it. Like, I, know, I know, but it's also like I guess it's, you know that's he puts it so stupidly. But he, it, you know, if you're a parent that lost your kid, you might not. But uh, then, might, yes, that's true. But not like that it is written and performed. Sure, no one has ever with, had depression in that way. It's ever. written and performed with all like the gusto with of like a, a like a cranky boomer like getting mad that his Fuddruckers order came oh, back yeah, he, and now he doesn't want to eat it. No, he's like a kid <laughs> saying, "I'm not going to eat this stupid." without my special spoon yeah it's like 
I don't even want to eat if my daughter's dead. This is all your fault. Like, it's it's the least, like, I am mourning my, like, it's the least connection to real world grief and loss that the original movie had. Oh, yeah. You could imagine in a child's film. The original movie has one of the best depictions of depression I I have ever seen. Anyway, that's basically the end of the movie. Well, no, no, no. The The best is yet to come. Okay, okay. They reunite with the kids. They decide to go back to the Great Valley when it, when everything grows back. And instantaneously, for no reason, everything there's a montage where everything just grows back. Like, oh, I guess the conflict of the movie doesn't exist anymore. Just I'm the, sorry, the inciting what, incident what, what is, is just the, undone. What is the conflict of the movie? Well, what who is who is <laughs> I challenge you. Who is the okay, antagonist yeah. for the duration of the film? That's the problem. Like the first the first roughly half of the film, the issue that they're all dealing with is we don't have any food. But as soon as the issue becomes we're on a sharp tooth island, we forget about the food thing completely. And so when we get back to the Green Valley at the end, it's somebody like somebody opens up the ancient pylon that controls the land of the lost and fiddles with the crystals and hits the reset button and the plants just regrow. No, like what instantly. happened was was the Great Valley was like, Okay, you've learned your lesson. I'll start I'll grow back now. You like, had an adventure. Like there this film has that classic narrative issue where if you were going to tell the narrative, you would not say like this happens and therefore this happens. And because that happened, this happens. So this happens. Like there's no link of causation between everything that goes on really it's a narrative that it's comprised of and then and then and then and then and then it's like you know how every simpsons episode starts with like something incidental happening for maybe the first five minutes and that first five minutes of incidental stuff happens leads to the plot that that carries you through the entire well it's it's like it's like every entire movie every plot juncture in this movie is is just and then this happens instead of therefore this happens yes it's so it's not linked by a line of causation, but a line of coincidence where it's like, well, they're in this place, so here's another thing that could show up here. It is it is amazing how like that's supposed to be bad storytelling, but and then scripts are so fucking common in movies, especially like children's movies where they just don't give a shit. Because oh, yeah. children don't care about the causal relationships at all. I think ultimately yeah, because he, I, by I, and large yeah. kids kids aren't really going to be able to follow the depending on how old they are like look there's a reason this movie is padded out with three sing-along musical numbers but it's not an entire musical because it's just like every couple minutes it's just like another sequence of stuff to entertain like a very young child and then at the end say a lesson that may not connect to anything that came before but say a lesson so that you know the kid hopefully like takes some good message away from it which is why these movies you know besides just from pure catchiness maybe would be the only way they would actually exist within somebody's mind over a long period of time i maintain that you know really good children's movies like even dumb kids like know that they're watching something good like yeah i think like they I, I may think, not realize even why they like this particular movie more than other. They probably wouldn't be able to explain it to you. But like, I think they can tell that like this is something that is of quality. I think I mentioned that a little bit when I was talking about the score of the first Land Before Time when we were watching that one. As a kid, I loved the Land Before Time and I loved the Land Before Time too. But I have distinct memories of liking the Land Before Time too, purely for surface level aesthetic sort of reasons Mm -hmm. like oh look it's dinosaurs but the land before time one 
I remember feeling emotional yeah, during that film. Exactly. Because yeah. that film is actually effective. And you I know, think it I wasn't think, just shutting me up for 10 minutes. So kids know when they're watching something of quality versus something not of quality, but they also will watch something not of quality if it has like kids don't have guilty pleasures. They just have pleasures. That's yes. exactly right. And so when a kid watches something that they know is not like as so, for instance, I think the part now that I'm trying to look back on it, I think part of why I had all of these five movies on VHS in like my family, like, you know, in my family house growing up, I could have popped in the Land Before Time VHS, the original good movie at any time. But I think the thing was, as a little kid, I didn't want to cry again. I didn't want to have to suffer through dealing with the the like the sympathetic feelings of loss and empathizing with and thinking about like what it would be like if my parents died that, and going that through first that movie is is a journey it's emotional work to yes. watch that movie yeah it's and the thing is like that is what makes that's what makes art deeply enriching but when you are a child and like losing an ice cream cone is an extremely emotionally rending experience for you you don't want to go through that every day because it's like it, it's like hitting the gym and when you're a kid like in the tv room and you know enough on how to work the vcr or maybe you're asking your parent to work the vcr you're looking to have fun you're looking to be like oh i like this one because because it's got the dinosaur i like in it as like a unique thing and it's like oh i get to look at the elasmosaurus that's so cool yeah you don't necessarily want to be like put on the movie that's going to make me cry you don't want to go through that again not because it's like you don't like it, but because you do like it, but it's just too much. Yeah. It's you 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 want the surface level fun. Yeah. Anyway, so we have now reached the end of our movie discussion portion of the podcast, which brings us to everyone's favorite or least favorite segment. We haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> uh Dino Facts with Professor Truthosaurus. All right, so this movie is about tyrannosaurs and uh, the parental relationship between two adult tyrannosaurs and their little baby. So I'm going to talk about tyrannosaur uh, maturation and how they changed as they uh, got older. Uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex lived, we think, maybe 30 years. We have a, ways of estimating based on looking at uh, their bones. Dinosaur bones actually have growth rings, kind of similar to trees. And we know they went through a rather intense growth spurt in their teen years. Around age 14, 15 or so, they suddenly grew extremely rapidly and became the gigantic, you know, 20-foot-tall predators that we know them from because they they lived so long as juveniles and then so long as colossal adults tyrannosaur adults and juveniles would have been competing for food in the same ecosystem if they didn't have significant niche uh, separation so basically younger t-rex have a number of anatomical features that are different from mature T-Rex, which show that they were hunting different prey and living a different lifestyle so that they did not compete directly with older tyrannosaurs. Uh, one of them is the shape of the teeth. Adult T-Rex have needle-like teeth designed for holding flesh and extremely robust jaws. It's actually estimated that they have the strongest bite force of any animal 
ever. They were designed to crush the bones of very large prey animals and hold onto them and overpower them. And this is because they couldn't really run. An adult T-Rex was so heavy that if it fell over, it could sustain serious injuries. So they didn't run. They walked. And they had to catch things that they could outpace just by walking and overpower. But young T-Rex, much lighter, much leaner, they had much longer legs. So they could run for sustained periods of time. They could chase down quicker prey items. And their teeth are designed differently. Rather than for holding on and crushing bones, their teeth are very razor-like. They're very sharp. They're designed to inflict bleeding wounds, which is how pursuit predators in dinosaur times would have worn down their prey. You get close enough to score a bite or two, you lacerate, and your victim is going to run out of blood and collapse. And so... These, these animals may have been hunting very different things from each other at different points in their life. Uh, but there are some hypotheses out there that uh, suggest something different. There are hypotheses that suggest that T-Rex may have worked like lions, where they lived together in family groups. And the young would run out and do the hunting uh, for the larger adults, which weren't as good at pursuit hunting, uh, and the adults would defend the family the same way that a lion, a male lion, which doesn't do any hunting, is bigger, bulkier, and stronger and defends the pride against other male lions. So the adult tyrannosaurs, which really are built for fighting, if you look at their bones, they have much more robust bones than a lot of other theropods, may have served that function and been supplied with food by the younger T-Rexes. But, of course, we don't know because we've never found a fossilized family group together. All right. Uh, Chris, I would like to, to thank you for that analysis. And if I may, I'd like to now go into my segment. Which Dr. Wrongodactyl. Dr. Wrongodactyl, uh, where I explain the real uh, dinosaur theories okay. that you seem to um, uh, not talk about in your segment. Um, today's uh, topic is very simple. It's about how Tyrannosaurus rexes never existed. They're not real. Oh, wow. They've never been real. Um, they're completely fake. I had and no idea. It's one of the, like you mentioned, that they're the most studied dinosaur. Well, it's pretty easy to study something when it's not real. That you is know? true. Like, we know a lot about dragons. Yeah, there's like, there yeah. Are, you know, you go to any fan wiki, there's just pages and pages. Like, you know, the, the Wikipedia article for the lightsaber is longer than the Wikipedia article for the Gutenberg Press. And the Gutenberg Press actually existed, and the lightsaber is a uh, fake shit for babies. Absolutely. Well, and I, well, excuse me, I'll let you talk during your segment. You're going to let me hear my full theory. My apologies. So, thank, you're welcome. Um, apology accepted. Um, of course, you know I was skeptical of this too. You know I also believe wrongly that believe Tyrannosaurus uh, rexes. I also thought they were real, but thanks to my uh, most recent discovery, I am now of the. Uh, I now see the light. I now believe the truth. You can call me a truther if you'd like, because uh, that truthist. is what truthist a truthist um, <laughs> a veritas a veritas. Yes, uh, we recently uh, through a dig site uh, uncovered some very interesting. Fossils. What we did is we found a a large a large bone 
structure that we believed was a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, that it showed all the characteristics. But in that same dig site, we saw a very, very large trench coat and what was obviously a fake ID. So what we have hypothesized and now know is true is that Tyrannosaurus Rexes were actually just a bunch of smaller dinosaurs standing on top of each other in order to get into R-rated movies. Oh, the so-called Theodore Rex theory. Yes. Would it be the same smaller dinosaurs every time or different ones? That is still out. We know that there were some consistent dinosaurs that like would a, hop against each other. There were like a lot a, of things. Like uh, a Compsognathus? Uh, uh, a, a time period was very important. Uh, which ones were um, okay. more asshole-ish? Which ones were the cooler dinosaurs okay. um, had a lot to do with even the position of who would stand on each other's trench coat. Obviously, the the more heavy set dinosaur would be on the bottom. Naturally. Yeah, Naturally, yeah, yeah. yes. Wow. Uh, Lots well, to that's, think about. Yeah. That's a very interesting theory uh, that you have there. I Thank can, you. I can refer you to uh, those fake footprints in, in Paluxy, Texas, where some guy carved uh, human footprints alongside... Tyrannosaur footprints, uh, which I suppose you would interpret to be that the Tyrannosaur footprints are the fake are ones. Are those related to the real footprints that were found in the same location? Because I know about them. Uh, sure, okay. yeah. I, I can also so, refer you to some sort of Cambodian temple where they have a carving of a dinosaur proving that they existed simultaneously with humans. I'll take the next flight. So, Aaron, before we go, we ask all of our guests this question. Uh, what is your favorite dinosaur and why? Oh, my God. So I went through, like, my dinosaur phase, and I went through my bats phase, and I, and I went through, like, sharks and whales. And then I went through um, a cephalopod phase, and I still have a lot of memories of that, of the knowledge I have. And I still have, like, a lot of love and appreciation for those animals. I think they're, they're really fascinating. I have some ammonite fossils I can show you. Oh, I've seen some ammonites. <laughs> Ammonites are boring to me because they weren't, you know, by all accounts, they weren't as intelligent as like contemporary cephalopods. Oh, nowhere near. Yeah, and that's the stuff that's interesting to me, like the 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 like intelligence they display. Octopus. Yeah, like what like what problems would an ammonite need to solve? Like, oh, I guess I'll go into my shell. So I I always had like a really big love as a kid for like marine biology, and so any dinos like Mesozoic uh uh marine reptile like the plesiosaurs were very awesome to me. But they're technically not dinosaurs, no. Yeah, but they're archosaurs. Yeah, you know, they're they're the same same old family. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. This was oh, a thank you fascinating both. discussion in every way. For those of you at home, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, Aaron, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, I guess let me think. Um, Fuckboy Book Club, of course, is my is uh my podcast. Uh, Maddie, you have been on a few times. It's a very good as show. A go- as a as a, a ghost, as a guest, uh, you can follow the podcast on most podcast catchers. Uh, uh, Apple, uh, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. The Twitter account for the show is Fuckboy Book Club, which is spelled F U C Q B O I. And uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, I did I did something very funny as like kind of like a a quarantine project just for myself. I ran through uh, Howard Zinn's 1999 play Marks and Soho as a bunch of TikToks and just went through it all in like 
recorded like chunks of lines of it in single takes um, as like a staged reading. It's a one man play about Karl Marx coming back to life and talking about his life and his and his work. And I did the whole play, which is about an hour long in 113 separate TikToks. <laughs> so if you guys are on TikTok listening, uh, check out at Marx in selfie if uh, that sounds at all uh, entertaining to you. We'll have links to all of that in the description. And of course, if you want to check out uh, one of the many projects that Chris and I do that we have talked about before on the podcast, we will also have links in the description to that as well. Uh, Chris, why don't you get us out of this time paradox that we're in and bring us back into the future? All right. So uh, from the bottom of our prehistoric hearts, thank you all for listening. Uh, if we're all ready to go, let's uh, let's all step into the time portal. There's a time portal. There's a time portal. Yeah. How do you think we got to the before times for the land? I didn't sign up for this, but, you know, I've come this far. I know. I mean, we told you we were taking you to, to a fish concert, and I think we were like <laughs> half right. All right. Remember, everyone, life finds a way. Activating time portal. Oh, God. <laughs> Time machine's powering down. That does it for another trip back in time. I tell you, I never get used to that. I never do. The way that your brain distends into your feet is just so off-putting. So as our viewers uh, and listeners probably know at this point, uh, here's where we will give you an update on our current legal situation. Uh, as, we, as we've mentioned before, uh, we are currently being sued by the families of a couple of kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, prissy lawyers that uh, just happened to get eaten alive by a, a giant dinosaur. You know, it's really tragic when you, you take an event like someone's death and you just monetize it this way. Right. Um, we are currently uh, going to sue the real perpetrator of these cases, which is, of course, a dinosaur that uh, we named that is not ours. In order to protect ourselves this time, we have hired our lawyer is a uh, AI that we made watch Highlander 10,000 times in order to learn human language. So we're really excited for what he'll be able to accomplish for us. Absolutely. And I I think finally, uh, by eliminating human error, our, our prospects are looking up for this case. As long as we don't have to juggle a fifth lawsuit, we should be okay. Oh, who could that be? Hello? Yes, hi. My name is, uh, Chaz Rogers. Chaz Rogers, the defense attorney? Uh, yes. Um, I've seen your ads, but you're too expensive for us. Right. That's why you didn't hire me. I would never work for a little slum podcast like yes. No, this, uh, my, I'm representing the client of uh, one Tyrannosaurus Rex for uh, to counter sue you. Uh, Sparky is suing us for defamation? Yes, uh, Sparky is, uh, turns out, uh, made quite a bit of money uh, for himself as a dinosaur. And we are going to take you for every last penny that you have. Oh, well, that's terrible. Oh, but, you know, I guess, I guess you just got you to gotta, you gotta pay your debt to society in this world of ours. Uh, uh, hey, you know, uh, I bet it was a pretty long drive uh, getting out here. Uh, if, if you need to uh, use the restroom, you're, you're more than welcome to before, uh, before you hit in the road again. Oh, you know what? I was just thinking about that. Yeah, uh, I'll go check that out right now. Oh, yeah, it's just right down the hallway. Yeah, ignore the smell of rotting meat. Okay, he's in the bathroom. I think this is it. I'm really excited. And it's like we actually caused it this time. You know, I know. Like, we're actually going to make it happen. Deliberately, we are recording ourselves plotting murder. Hey, hey. so anyways, um, like I was saying, I've got some documents to serve you. Oh, uh, you you didn't you didn't use the restroom? I, I didn't hear the toilet flush. Oh no, I, I I thought I had to go, but I 
Turn, you know how that feeling is when you got a lot of uh oh no plus i'm um 97 years old so it doesn't come out as well as it used to oh okay uh well uh sure i guess we'll take those uh legal documents uh here you are so you can just sign here where it says uh all of your money and uh we're here where it says uh all uh future Properties, including uh, children. Joke's on you. I'm not going to have any kids. I'm sterile from time travel. Oh, we can fix that, too. Uh, okay, look, you're handing me all these documents, but uh, we, we've got a problem here. Um, we uh, don't have any money? You don't have any money? No. We, uh, we kind of spent it all on four legal cases and a time machine. Jesus. See, you don't... Like I said, you gotta give me something. I mean, you're gonna give me a heart attack here. Oh man, I'm so nervous. I feel like I, I uh, peed pee myself a little bit. Carnotaurus, high five. Oh, sorry, yes. your arms are tiny. Oh, that's great. You know, sometimes, sometimes life does throw you a win. Right. Listeners. Now, let's run away, because I actually do have to go to the bathroom, and I'm terrified. Oh, yeah, good point. This land was made for time and lamp. 